You know, we've all seen houses. There's a number of houses actually around our neighborhood that are like this uh, with the ivy, you know, growing up on the wall. Or maybe you've seen buildings, you know, with the ivy growing up on the walls. Uh, and it's a, you know, popular assumption, I believe, that uh, many people believe that that ivy, if you allow it to grow up on your brick wall, could be uh, disastrous. You know, it could really cause a lot of damage uh, to your wall. And actually, though, I was doing a little research on this and found out that actually ivy growing on the wall uh, can actually be a benefit to your wall unless your wall or your house or your building is made of uh, weak mortar and weak brick, maybe uh, in the early 1900s or 1800s. If, you're, if your house is made of that type of material, uh, then you probably should not grow ivy because what happens is the ivy... It cannot create the cracks in the wall, but if there is a crack in the wall, in the mortar, in the brick, the ivy will obviously shoot its roots into those cracks, bringing with it moisture, and what ivy can do is cause the cracks to get larger as it grows within the cracks, and over time, uh, you're going to have a very expensive project on your hands because it's going to cause that wall to lose its structural, structural integrity and eventually will crumble. Now, in the community of God or in the household of God, sometimes cracks develop. And there are certain species of ivy that kind of move in and start causing it to weaken and crumble. And one of those types of species is, is greed or Coveting, and what I mean by coveting is this uh, desire that you know you 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 have an inordinate desire for more. I want more of this or more of that, uh, with no regard for other people. It's mainly about you gathering more and more more stuff. And as a church, as a community of people, we are we are a community of greedy people. Uh, we all suffer from this illness of greed to some degree. Now, some more than others, but it's the seed is planted. It's there. The crack is there. In all of us. But what bonds us together as the church is Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ keeps that crack in check. And keeps, keeps the ivy of the growth and the destruction at bay. And actually the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the, is the mortar, it's the brick that holds the church together. And so as long as the gospel is proclaimed and believed, then it keeps that crack and ivy species of greed at bay as long as the gospel is continuously proclaimed and believed. However, if the day comes when the gospel is no longer proclaimed and or believed by the community of faith, then this crack develops. And it's only a matter of time that this crack begins to fill with with sin, and it weakens the church, and eventually it will crumble. And so, what we see happening, we, we see it happen only today, but also all throughout history, the history of God's people. The history of God's people are a community of people, and over time, sometimes cracks develop, sin comes in, and really affects the structural integrity of that community. And we see that happening over almost 3,000 years ago in Micah's day. 
when Michael was sent by God to, to speak truth into this community of people that were supposed to be uh, identified with God, people in Israel, people in Judah. And this prophet Michael was sent to this community in order to tell them that you need to pull out the ivy and you need to be reconciled with God and allow God to fill in those cracks with forgiveness so that your community will once again be strong. So what, what's causing those cracks in that early community in Micah's day? Well, he tells us in Micah chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2. Micah tells them, he says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. So Micah gives us a glimpse of what type of cracks are going on in the community of Israel and Judah. And what he's saying is there's a group of people who are skilled, they're powerful, they're wealthy, and instead of using their skill, their social status, and their resources to help the community of God flourish, they use their resources, their power, their status to disadvantage the community for their own benefit. And Micah tells us that these people, will lay, they, would, they would lay on their beds at night thinking of ways, thinking of strategies to accumulate more land for themselves. And you may say, well, Ron, I, what's the big deal with that? I mean, savvy businessmen just trying to think of how to make a, more of a profit. You know, what's, what's the problem with that? Well, if you understand God's kingdom ethic, as you read through the scripture and you begin to understand God's kingdom ethic, God is not as concerned with how much money you make as he is with how you are making it. And what Mike is doing is he's exposing a business plan that runs contrary to God's word, God's kingdom ethic, because it targets the vulnerable in the community. And so within Israel and Judah, we see a very um, strong focus, important focus on the land. The land was their inheritance. As one Old Testament scholar said, he said, according to the covenant, every man in Israel was equal before God in the law. And the land of each tribe and family was not to be transferred to another. And we see this in the book of Joshua when they came into the promised land and God divides the land up according to tribe. And then the land is supposed to remain in those tribes. It's their inheritance. And because they were a predominantly agrarian society, they, they you know, got their livelihood from their uh, growing crops and whatnot and cattle and, and different types of uh, livestock and farming. If you were to take away someone's land, what you were doing is taking away their livelihood. You were taking away their ability to provide for themselves. And the whole purpose of Israel coming into the land was to show the world what it looks like when people come together as a community, centered on God and His Word, in God's place, under God's blessing, under God's rule and authority. They are to be a glimpse of the kingdom of God. 
But instead of seeking God's kingdom and making it known to the world, you had a group of people who were seeking to build their own kingdom through their power, their social status, and their wealth. So instead of seeking to help the community of God flourish in their faithfulness to God, they sought to oppress the poor and the vulnerable uh, for their own benefit. And we read in verse 2 that they oppress a man in his house. And in verse 9, we read that the women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses, from their young children you take away my splendor. And so what you see is the very group that had the ability to help the community flourish and being a place of health was actually taking advantage of the poor and the vulnerable for their own benefit. And Micah tells us that because of this disaster they had you know, concocted in their minds, this strategy that they were pursuing to, to gather more land for themselves, that the Lord was going to devise disaster against them. And we see it in verses 3 through 5. Micah says, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song, or a proverb, a parable, or a mournful song against you, and moan bitterly. And this is what the song would say. We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people how He removes it from me. To an apostate He allots our fields. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Now, Micah exposes two consequences to their actions if they continue on in this path. The first is that the very land that they're trying to gobble up for themselves, going against God's kingdom ethic, as far as the way they're trying to acquire it, God is going to take the very land that He had given them to the people of Israel and Judah, and He's going to give it to a foreign nation. And we see that happening both to Israel and Judah when they are taken into exile. And the second thing He tells them is that not only will you be taken into exile, in other words, you will be kicked out of the land that you're so you know, uh, greedily trying to gobble up, but I'm going to give this land to a foreign nation And the second consequence is, when I regather the people together, you will have no one left in your family to inherit the land I redistribute. If you continue on in this path you're on. Now, how do you think Micah responded to that message? I mean, how do you think the people responded to Micah's message? Well, it's probably not hard to imagine because we can think about ourselves. How do I respond when I'm confronted with my sin? And you all know there's a number of ways you can respond. Some are good. Some are not so good. You know, just the other day we were uh, at a birthday party. And, and this is fairly common today that you go to a birthday party and you bring a gift and, and guess what you get in return? All the kids at the birthday party get a goodie bag. I don't know when this thing started, but it really keeps me thinking, yeah, I don't want to invite too many kids over to the birthday party because I'm going to have to buy all these goodie bags. And like, this is getting out of hand. So, okay, they bring presents for your kid and then you give all the kids a goodie bag. 
Well, all my kids got a goodie bag. And you know, in this goodie bag, you have candy and you have little toys and whatnot. So, you have all these goodie bags. Well, the next day, my son looks in his goodie bag and finds that his Snicker bar is missing. And his bag of M&M's are missing. And so, um, you know, it's time to put on my investigative hat as the dad. And so, uh, I, I, I know I didn't eat it. I didn't even know he had a Snicker bar, or I would have eaten it, but I didn't know. I didn't know he had one. And so uh, I, I, was, I was innocent. So then I talked to Celia, my wife, you know. She says she didn't eat it. I'm, I believe her. And uh, my son didn't re- eat it. He's, he's the one, you know, upset about his candy gone, being gone. And so that leaves me with two suspects, my daughters, Emma and Lily. And so I called my daughters to me. I said, you know, Emma and Lily, um... There's some candy missing. And if you know anything about that, I need you to let me know. Well, they didn't know anything about it. Surprise, surprise. And, uh, and sometimes that's how we are, though. When we become aware of something that's wrong in our life, something we have done, you know, some sin in our life, sometimes we just think, you know, I don't, want, I don't know anything about it. It has nothing to do with me. I don't want to hear it. Well, then a few minutes later, um, they approached me with two notes. Two notes. Here they are right here. And this was just out of the blue. It's the first time they've ever done this, but these are called sorry cards. Hallmark may grab these and run with them. But uh, sorry cards, and Lily and Emma both gave me one, and they both are sorry cards. Sorry card, love Lily. Sorry card, love Emma. And basically what these cards say, with some artwork inside as well, is that Lily ate the Snicker bar, and Emma ate the bag of M&M's. And so I brought them together, and they asked you know, their brother to forgive them, and, and they were able to reconcile and now they're looking you know to how they can you know make restitution and give back more chocolate and candy but you know isn't isn't that what God wants from us you know maybe you don't need to write a sorry card with some artwork and, and whatnot but isn't that what he wants I mean when you become aware of your sin he just wants you to admit that and turn to him and seek reconciliation And we know that reconciliation comes through Jesus Christ. And we can receive forgiveness, but we have to admit, we have to say, yeah, I'm sorry. I I agree with you about my sin. And that's exactly what God wanted for the people of Israel and Judah. He sends Micah to expose the sin. And the response is, He just wants them to write a sorry card. Will you admit your sin? I mean, you are, you are being so held back because you're clinging to your sin instead of clinging to God. But this is how they respond. They were unwilling to admit their sin. And this is how they respond to Micah in verse 6. They say, Do not preach. <laughs> Some of you may be saying that. <laughs> Do not preach. We could get out here a lot earlier. Do not preach. 
And then he goes on to say in verse 6, One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. In other words, we're the most blessed nation on the earth. We have the temple. We have the feasts. Can you think of all that God went through to give us the land? Is He really going to take it? I mean, really, don't preach that message. And even deeper into that, there's this issue of don't preach against my sin. Don't make me uncomfortable. Don't make me evaluate my standing before God. And so they say, do not preach. And they thought they could just go through the motions. They could go to the feast. They could offer up the sacrifices and then indulge their greed at the expense of the community. And what that did is it caused a huge crack in the community that was quickly filling up with sin. And it was losing its structural integrity. And God was about to do something about it. Now what about, what about the church today? What about us? How does, this, how does this relate to us? Well, we've studied Jonah, and now we're studying Micah, and there are two different types of prophets. You know, Jonah was sent by God to go to a nation that did not know the Lord. So it would be, it would be like going to you know, the United States of, as a government and say, you know, as a government, you are going against God and His, and His will. But Micah's different. Micah is not going to Nineveh or some other nation. He's going to the people of God. And he's saying, here's what we see in, in the community of God's people that is causing great pain and suffering. This is your sin. And he's calling them out on it. And so what we see for us is the best way to uh, when you read the prophets, especially the prophets that speak to Israel and Judah, it's, it, it would be best not to take what they're saying to Israel and Judah and then apply it to some nation today, like the United States or even the present day uh, nation of Israel. But rather, it would be most accurate to say, okay, God is calling out His people that are under His rule, under His word, and so... How does that translate today? Well, it translates to the church. You know, we are the visible representation of the kingdom of God. And so the question is, if Michael were to come on the scene today, what type of cracks would he point out in our lives, in our community? And I think perhaps you would see some similarities between what was going on in Micah's day and even in our day. Now, I'm not saying that God's truth does not apply to the broader culture. I mean, look around us in our country with the scandal of uh, Enron and Bertie Madoff and the mortgage crisis, all of these things were, are really fueled by greed. And we need to speak into that. But as, as Peter says, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4.17, he says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And therefore, let us, let us hear Micah's words, you know, allow them to sink in, allow them to purify us and cause us to run to Christ to fill those cracks in our lives and in the lives of our church communities. And remember, greed, when we talk about greed, 
You're basically saying greed or coveting is basically I am desiring and grabbing for more for myself at the expense of the community. It's I am trying to disadvantage the community in order to advantage myself. That's what greed does. That's what coveting leads to. And so the first way we could think, how does that translate to the church today? Probably the most obvious way is just how we use what we have. And so, how, how do we use what we have in order to further the mission of the church and to help our brothers and sisters in Christ? For example, if you were considering, okay, how should I use my resources, how should I use my money, for example, to further the mission of the church or to help my brother and sister in Christ? Greed may cause you to ask a question like this. What is the minimum I can give? Or if you're thinking beyond resources to skill and time, what's the minimum I can do? Those are the, those are the type of questions I believe that are fueled by greed, self-interest. Whereas someone who is growing in their understanding of the generosity of God in the gospel will ask questions like this. What would God have me give? In other words, how we use our resources for the good of the church is governed by a gospel filter. It's governed by our understanding of the gospel. And so when the, when the redemptive work of Jesus Christ becomes the basis for our giving and how we steward our resources, then the cracks of greed that begin to develop in the mortar and brick of the church begin to be repaired. And what we see here is in the gospel, when you, when you see what God has done for you in Christ, the giving of His Son, Christ became poor so you can become rich in Him by knowing God. When you begin to understand the gospel, how you use your resources, uh, you begin to move from a bartering mindset to a offering mindset. Bartering is a transaction. And this is how a lot of people view giving in the church. You know, it's this idea of I give so that I can get. And it's interesting, I'm fascinated, even though I don't, I don't know sign language, but I'm fascinated as to how uh, sign language seeks to make visible a concept or a word. And so when thinking about this idea of bartering, uh, in sign language the sign is something like this. There's this rotation of the hands. And what it means is, I give, I receive. I give, I receive. There's, I give this to you, you give this to me. There's a trade that happens. And that's how many of us view giving. Whereas the Gospel says, no, it's not a bartering. It's not that we give in order to get, but we give because we've already received. We've already received Christ. We've already received the riches in knowing Him. And so we offer, we give of ourselves, our time, our resources. And we don't expect to receive some compensation from the person that we're helping or some service from the church community, but we're giving because of our relationship with God and Christ. And so the, the sign for offering 
is this. It's just the, the hands, they just go to the air. And they don't pull back. It's because I have all I need in Christ. And that puts me in a position to, I can just give. So it's not a you know, strategy that you have to devise in your bed at night. What's the minimum I can do? You know, just to make it look like, you know, what, you know, whatever it may be. But when you know Christ and you understand the generosity of God, it shifts you from being a, a person that barters to a person that offers. And that's what we see happen when we experience the forgiveness and the grace of God. Now Micah tells the people that their community is crumbling because of greed. And then he tells them this in verses 12 and 13. He says, I will surely, God is speaking here, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. And although this community, we're looking back, we know they don't turn from their sin, and so they will be taken into exile. But what God is saying here is that even though they go under exile, He will gather them together once again. And we see a partial gathering under Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament, but we see a full and complete gathering in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to imagine... um, around the North Pole where the ice covers the sea. And you have these ships called ice breakers. And these are fascinating machines. These, of course, even today you have these nuclear-powered ice breakers and they're designed to prepare a way for ships to, to deliver their cargo. And so you have these ice breakers come into this solid ice sheet on top of the ocean and they just plow through it and and push away the ice to prepare a path for the ships to go that are falling behind. And that's what Micah says. He says, God will regather His people and there will be someone who will prepare the path, will break through the power of sin so that you can come into a relationship with God and be gathered together once again. And that person is Jesus Christ. And when we come to God through Christ, when Christ breaks the power of sin, then we can have a desire shift and we can move from being people of greed to, be, to become generous people as we understand what Jesus has done for us. You know, we begin to seek to, to look at ways and seek out ways to bless those around us instead of seeking to take from those around us. We begin to seek how we can help our brothers and sisters in Christ flourish rather than just simply benefiting ourselves. And this is the change that takes place. This is the new life that occurs in Christ. And so the question is, are you you concerned for the well-being of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are Are you using the resources, the talents, the time that you have is to help one another flourish. 
You know, it's only through Christ, it's only through the gospel that we can see the cracks in our community repaired. That is what bonds us together. That is what keeps us strong. It's Christ. And perhaps even this morning, you know, the Lord may be putting a finger just somewhere in your life, just pressing in on it, wanting to draw attention to it and say, you know, this is an area of your life that you need to confess. And you need to admit. And you need to, you need to allow the Lord to come in and bring renewal to that area. And perhaps, you know, you need to write a confessional note, a sorry note, in your prayers to the Lord. Allowing Him to renew you, to strengthen you, to become who He wants you to be. Allow you to experience that love, that grace, the forgiveness that comes through Christ. Because it's only through Christ that we move from greed to generosity. Let us pray. God, we come to You this morning acknowledging that without You, our lives are filled with cracks and brokenness. Easily filled by the things of the world, by wrong ambition, pleasure, status, power, anything that we can gather for ourselves. God, we confess that. And we come to You with thankful hearts knowing that in Jesus Christ, You can not only repair those cracks, but renew us. Give us a new heart. Make us who You want us to be. God, we come to You now. And lifting up that area, whatever area that may be in our lives, that we've been using wrongly. And we ask that You would grant us forgiveness through Jesus. And by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would bring about renewal. Help us desire Your will. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.